Hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Homebrew All-Stars, where we tap into the brains of 25 of the world's best homebrewers and get their tips, tricks, and secrets right to your grubby little hands. And, of course, forthcoming in spring, Simple Homebrewing. Hooray, hooray, it's done. Yep. Now, between the two of us, we have nearly 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and coming up with a way to check it out. Which we're going to do today. That's right. In fact, on today's episode, we're going to head to the pub and do your usual sort of round of the beer news because, well, the beer world is wild and crazy and there's always something to talk about. We're going to head into the library to talk about a new archaeological discovery, go to the brewery and talk about, well, you know, something new that we're going to bring to you courtesy of one of our fine, fine sponsors. And then in the lab, yes, we're going to announce an experiment that we're going to be doing here shortly uh, so that people can get their ideas and tell us what they think are going to actually happen. And then in the lounge, we sit down with listener Ralph Rice, who, well, he had an alt beer and he sent it to us. And we tasted hooray, it. Hooray! Hooray! Yeah. If there's one thing we love, it's people who send us beer. Yep. And then, of course, we'll answer some of your questions, we'll get you a quick tip, and then we'll get you on your way with something other than beer, so that you have a way to enjoy your day when you can't have a pint of beer. But before we get to all that, please sit back and listen to this message from our sponsors. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Pico Brew, makers of the Zymatic and Pico Brewing Systems. The brewing systems of the future are here now. Discover how easy and rewarding it is to make great beer with Pico Brew. And by Craftmeister and BTF Iota 4. When you absolutely, positively need to make every surface clean, bust out the cleaners with professional power and home brewer safety. Make better beer with better chemistry. Choose Craftmeister. And by the American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the HA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. And by you, our listeners, go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. We're back, and thank you for sticking around. We're going to get started here with a few announcements, and the first one is that there's a new episode out of The Brew Files, episode 45, called Water, Water Everywhere, where Drew sits down with water guru Martin Brungard and talks through how to use the Brunewater spreadsheet, which we both use and find to be a great tool for our breweries. And, of course, next month, it's Australia time. We're going down under... That's right. We're going to be in Melbourne for the biannual Australian National Homebrewers Conference, October 25th through the 27th. Tickets will be available at www.anhc.com.au. 
you can uh, come hear us. We're going to be doing a live podcast. We're going to be giving a couple different talks. And it's not just going to be us. It's going to be Jay Goodwin from the Rare Barrel, Chris White, Peter Simmons, and a whole bunch of others. Yeah, they're going to have uh, like actual people who know about beer there. Yep, uh, all seven of us. No, there's a lot more speakers than seven. Sorry, guys. <laughs> now, post-conference, we're also going to be making an appearance over in Sydney. So come see us in Melbourne, then come see us in Sydney at Batch Brewing Company on Tuesday, October the 30th at 8 p.m. Tickets are on sale at the Eventbrite link that we'll include in the show notes. Or you can also go to experimentalbrew.com slash Sydney. Hey, and uh, just a little mention here. If you happen to live in Marimbula, it's probably pronounced wrong, or Huskisson Bay in uh, Australia, we're going to be stopping there on our way from uh, Melbourne to Sydney. So let us know, and maybe we can get together for a beer. Yeah, this is going to be our attempt to see whether or not Danny and I kill each other as we take a car trip. Yeah, and I think it'll be okay, man. It's only a few days, and you'll be drinking heavily. Thank God. <laughs> And uh, also coming up in March, uh, in March 22nd and 23rd, there's a Brew Your Own Boot Camp in Asheville, North Carolina. And besides all the other people who are going to be doing great, great seminars there, Marshall Schott and I will be doing a seminar on homebrew experimentation. Uh, you know Marshall from Brewlosophy, of course. And uh, so we're going to spend the day telling you how to set up your own experiments so you don't have to believe what we try to tell you. Yeah, just think, you can spend all day in a room with Denny and Marshall. That's right. And at least one of those would be fun. Yeah, so if you go to BYOBootCamp.com, you can register for the boot camp in Asheville, North Carolina, March 22nd, March 23rd. And if you mention experimental brewing in the order comments, well, we get a small portion of that uh, that fee that you pay. So thank you. That's right. And don't forget that I'll also be in Dallas during that same period of time at the Blue Bonnet Brew Off, you know, where they have, you know, seminars along with also being one of the world's largest homebrew competitions. So come and see me in Dallas if you're so inclined and not in the Asheville area. And, you know, sit down. We'll have a beer. We'll talk. We'll have some fun. We'll see each other on the coast. We'll do lunch. <laughs> Take a meeting. Exactly. Sorry, I live near Hollywood. What do you want? Uh, don't forget that you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can click the Amazon AHA or BYO links on the website and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... It is an organization called Nowzad. It was started in Afghanistan to help our servicemen there with the uh, animals they found, uh, taking care of their dogs and helping them bring them home. And it's really expanded beyond that now. They're helping the Afghan people uh, take care of their own animals, uh, you know... Mules there are real important, so they're uh, helping with that. So please click on that Patreon link, throw us a buck or two, we'll toss it to them, and uh, it'll be a wonderful thing. And I guess this is a good time to announce that uh, our last charity, Habitat for Humanity, you guys raised $1,170 for, and we really thank you for that. Uh, we've made the donation, and it's there, and... Uh, Man, that's great. Thank you for all the help, and let's do the same thing for now, Zed. Exactly. Remember, dogs, soldiers, animals, it's all good. That's right, man. And now, it's time for Feedback. feedback. That's right. How does he make his voice do that? Magic. And IPA. So, our first piece of feedback, uh, both these pieces of feedback are actually about the last Brew Files episode uh, that we did, Water, Water Everywhere, with Martin Brungard. And Reddit user Molson Jacks uh, had said about Brewing Water... Uh, that he said, well, hopefully the pH issue for full volume mashes will get corrected. I love the software, but this issue makes it pretty much unusable for me. So uh, Molson Jacks does 
no sparge brew in a bag, so a full volume mash. And I guess brewing water has a little bit of an issue with that. It's been talked about in the past, and Martin's talked about it. Well, I reached out to Martin because that's what we do, and he confirmed that the next version of the paid supporter version of brewing water will actually have a fix to the pH model to deal with full volume mashes. And even better, I got him and Molson Jacks to hook up together so that he could use Molson's uh, you know, test data to verify whether or not the pH model works. So, yay! How cool, man. That's that's what I love about the way Martin does things, man. He uh, makes sure that everything he does is verified in the field by the users. Yeah, and I this is part of the reason I love the internet. You can actually get a feedback cycle going. So our second piece of feedback actually comes from Bill Tucker, on, who said on Facebook, and I had to include this because I, I love the comment, Bruingard may not have invented water, but he, Palmer, and DeLang, AJ DeLang, taught me how to use it properly in brewing. Well, that's right. Martin didn't imp- uh, didn't invent water, and I think we're probably all grateful for that. You know, I'm so old that when I was a kid, water was dry. I got nothing. <laughs> that's so bad that I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it came like in this package, and you had to like mix it with water before you could use it. Out. Out. Okay, I give, I give up. I give up. All right, we're going to take a quick break here while we head over to the pub, because obviously we both really need a beer. Uh, when we get back, we'll be talking about the pub life, so please stick around. Autumn has arrived, and so has the opportunity to brew new seasonal styles. Yeast's robust and ruddy private collection offers a fresh pairing of strains for cooler days and palates seeking more body and complexity without compromising approachability. 2782 Staroprog Lager produces exceptional malt-forward German and Bohemian-style lagers. 1581 Belgian Stout will complement the ester-forward strong ales and other specialty styles. And 9097 Old Ale Blend brings English heritage to your glass with a blend of Saccharomyces and a little Britannomyces to emulate traditional British strong ales and barley wines. These strains are available October through December at your local homebrew shop. Find out more about which styles pair best with these strains at whyeastlab.com. We're here in the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of everywhere and nowhere in your town, wherever it is on the earth, and we're having a couple beers. What are you having today, Drew? I'm having a, a really nice beer from one of my local breweries, uh, probably actually the closest brewery to me. One of these days I'll do a map calculation and figure it out. Uh, R.T. Rogers Brewing Company up in Sierra Madre, California, and you know, tiny little brewery, you know, I think they have like a five-barrel system, and the guys there are you know really playful with the sort of things they do, but it's still very classical, so they're playful, but not stupid. And they just unleashed a beer on the world just in time for you know the whole Halloween season called Broken Spell Belgian Pale Ale, kind of modeled off the idea of, like say, somewhere between like a quark and a taconic, and all I can say is, it's tasty, and boy, does it, make, <laughs> it does it make good short work of a long week. So, uh, what kind of alcohol content does it have? Is it one of the lower Belgian pale ales, or 
Yeah, it's about uh, 6.2. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been having a love affair with uh, Le Chouf recently, which they call a Belgian pale ale, except it's 8%, so... Well, and like, yeah, Quok is like 7-something, like 7-8 or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. It's a pale ale in the Belgian sense. <laughs> and you, sir? I am having yet another Bale Breaker beer. This time it is their delicious bottom cutter, uh, double IPA, uh, made with a combination of citrus Simcoe and Equinot hops. It is uh, around 8%, around 100 IBUs. It doesn't really drink like 100 IBUs because it's got such a, a nice malt backbone to it. God, I hate that word, but I just said it anyway. Uh, that the that the bitterness is really, really well balanced. Oh, and there's the B word also. I'm, I'm really blowing at this one. But there's mm-hmm. no other way to describe this beer. It's utterly delicious, utterly drinkable. The first night... Uh, Wait, Denny, can I ask? Yes. Is it a, is it a crushable double IPA? Uh, no, because uh, there is no such thing. <laughs> um, I discovered this beer sitting uh, at the uh, sports center in Yakima one night, and without realizing how strong it is, I had like about three or four of them, and uh, I don't really remember going back to the hotel, but I must have, because that's where I woke up the next morning. Well, it's always good that you safely got poured back into bed. Yeah, really. So let's enjoy these beers, and I think we should talk some uh, beer news. I think we should, and the first piece of beer news is... Uh, Something that's, it's really local. Yeah, it really is. It's it's something that's very near and dear to our heart. Our good buddy and Igor, Eric Pierce, was just announced as the winner of the Sam Adams Long Shot at GABF. Uh, I guess that means he's going to get his beer brewed by Sam Adams, huh? Yeah, and when we say just announced, we literally mean four hours before we start to record this episode. So... I reached out to Eric uh, to ask, hey, Eric, man, I can't find any details on this, so what was the beer? And Eric's beer is a grisette that he did with a whole bunch of ingredients, including some mechagrade malt and some other uh, other pieces. And he also uh, quoted that the, the Brew Files episode that we did uh, on grisette with Dave Jansen was a big inspiration to making this style of beer. Yep. That's great. And so, and so hopefully, if all goes well... Very, very shortly on the Brew Files, we're going to have Eric sitting down to talk about his grisette so that we can talk about winning something like the long shot. Yeah, and with any luck, he'll actually send us some so we can be drinking it while we're talking to him, huh? I have hopes. <laughs> what I want to know is, uh, is Sam Adams going to spring for mecha-grade malt when they make it? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah. Hey, Seth, you got a big order coming. <laughs> we can hope. We can hope. So, uh, intellectual property has been in the news in the beer world this week, huh? Boy, and how. And how. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, intellectual property is the sort of loose term that means everything that surrounds copyrights, trademarks, the idea of, you know, who owns what because you did something creative. And I think what we're starting to see now is that in this world where breweries are no longer, you know, having their sort of solid release schedule, you know, where, hey, you know, I've got my four core and, and a seasonal every season. Hey, look, I just released two new beers this week, and I'm doing that every week. I think people are having a harder and harder time coming up with interesting beer names and interesting branding to, you know, kind of, you know, keep people's attention. And so particularly around a lot of the, the hazy IPA stuff where we're seeing a lot of these canned releases, starting to see more and more of these things where people are borrowing other people's intellectual properties. So there was one that we talked about a couple weeks back. Excuse about the- me, I have, I have an issue with the word borrowing. Well, yes. Okay, fine. They're stealing, misappropriating. They're stealing. Yes. Okay. So, uh, 
And the latest example of that came from a collaboration that was announced on Instagram between Other Half and The Veil, and they're all set to release a beer that they were calling Brock Simpson, and they had a broccoli-crowned green Bart Simpson on there, and they had T-shirts and glasses, and the glasses used the Simpsons font and everything else. And big surprise here, exactly one day later, they announced that they were no longer releasing Brock Simpson, and instead they were releasing a beer called Special Combo Number no. 4, <laughs> with a bunch of broccoli crowns around the, the announcement. And every time somebody asked them about what happened to Brock Simpson, they had to give the same lawyerly response on social media, which said, uh, we will not be releasing that beer and merch anymore. This beer is that beer with a fresh new look. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. AKA somebody got the world's fastest cease and desist letter out there. known to mankind. Really? Yeah. I, I just, it is beyond me to imagine why people would think that something like that was a good idea. I mean, number one, you are misappropriating someone else's work. Well, let's just, let's say stealing again, because that's what you're doing. And number two, it just shows a distinct lack of creativity on, on the part of the breweries who do that. Well, I mean, again, I think it comes down to, you know, people are just releasing new beers so quickly that it, and trying to find some way to, to grab attention that this is a thing they reach for. And it's not good. It is lazy, and I think it shows the industry off in a bad light. And, of course, now I have a stick firmly in the mud. Well, you know what, man? I have, I have this uh, vision of a bunch of people sitting around a table, getting extremely drunk and going, Hey, you know what would be funny? And, and, you know, maybe that's not where it comes from. But wherever it comes from, people, let me just say, it's not a good idea. It doesn't make your brewery look good. And please just stop doing it. So there you go. Uh, IP theft is a thing. And uh, yeah, all these major media outlets, and I've worked for a couple of them, they have whole divisions of lawyers that the only thing they do is this. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been familiar with that in the music business, too, when uh, somebody will uh, cop a piece of music from somewhere else to use in an ad, and suddenly they get a little letter saying, uh, you know what, man? Beatles music is copyrighted. <laughs> That might be a really dumb idea. And, of course, going from where we're being stick in the muds to where somebody else is being a stick in the mud, uh, Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, uh, you know, does a lot of food jokes and focuses very much on trying to have a clean sense of humor, did a piece for CBS and basically you know, saying, hey, whatever happened to you know, beer-flavored beer? And Where have I heard that before? Uh, I don't know. Dennis Leary back in the 1990s and before that, uh, Mitch Hedberg. And uh, uh, and more recently, me. Yeah. So, but yeah, he he basically wrote this the whole thing and delivered it in kind of a, a mini rant, as, or as ranty as somebody as like Gaffigan gets, and basically says that yeah you know, yeah all these you know all these little towns now they all have their breweries and you know what they all suck, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah I mean yeah. I think that's overstating the case and I get it you're a comedian but um, the BA actually responded back to it. And, you know, sort of, you know, a sort of a type response, you know, saying, hey, you know, how dare you? Well, it wasn't wasn't quite like that. It was it was a a much more friendly chiding letter saying, look, there are thousands and thousands of beers out there and uh, a lot of people like a lot of them. And maybe you just haven't found the one for you. Now, 
that that said, I think people pretty much know where I stand on this. Uh, I pretty much agree with Jim's sentiment, if not his choice of beer, which uh, is American Light Lager, and it's not one of my favorites. Well, it's telling that he says that he's considered to be the fancy beer person in, in his family because his beer comes in bottles. <laughs> Well, except that we both know that that means nothing because a lot of the great beers, like this bail breaker I'm drinking, comes in a can. So, so, yeah. But, you know, I think I think the point really is that there are so many beers out there. There's a beer for everybody somewhere, uh, even if it is an American light lager. But drink what you like. Let other people drink what they like. And let's just leave it at that, shall we? Well, and I think the more interesting thing about it was not so much you know his little thing because i mean let's face it i've heard that many times before because i talk to you all the time right <laughs> um so that's kind of you know dog bites man at least in terms of attention level that it gets i think to me the thing i really thought was a little bit more off-putting was sort of the community's response to it which was to get all defensive yeah right exactly uh you know and that that again that comes back to uh Drink what you like. Let everybody else drink what they like. Uh, Gaffigan even said in his uh, thing that a beer preference is personal, and that's very true. I guess I also have a bit of an issue with the uh, the response that Julia made, because she makes it sound like everybody is looking for a, something unique, you know? And that's fine. A lot of people are. Uh, I like unique things, but again, I like unique things that stay within the realm of beer. Uh, I'm sorry, pastry stout is just not one of those things for me. Uh, again, if you like it, I'm really happy you found a beer that you enjoy. If you're a Bud Light person and that's the only thing you like, I'm really happy that you found something you enjoy. Although I might feel sorry that you couldn't try something more flavorful and like it. But beer is about enjoyment. So relax, drink what you like, and... Uh, you know, I, I have learned my lesson. I am not going to be getting down on people for drinking beers that don't appeal to me as long as they don't get down on me for, uh, you know, saying that those beers don't appeal to me. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you're still not going to look at them and grumble. I know you. Uh, no, I don't. I, I really think that maybe I'm past that now. You know, I, I might shake my head and wonder and go, I, I don't see what they see in it. But I'm not going to say you people are crazy for drinking that beer. I'm, I'm past that. Listeners. I expect you to hold them and keep them honest. Please do. Please do. Because I really, I really want to do this. And so if you hear me not doing it, just gently tell me, uh, remember what you said, you know, and I'll come back and apologize. And of course, you know, going from, you know, Hey, you know, whatever happened to beer flavored beer to, Hey, whatever happened to the women that used to brew beer? <laughs> really? Uh, the ones who started the whole thing. Uh, there, there was a really great article in auto straddle that uh, actually goes back and looks at the history of the whole alewives thing. And, you know, puts a, a bit of a feminist bent on it, you know, talking about like, Hey, you know, whatever happened to women as brewers and, you know, how did that all go? And to me, it's actually interesting reading this and at the same time, listening to stuff about, uh, from the tides of history, where in that podcast, he's been talking about sort of the medieval uh, peasant life. And it was very clear that in talk, in his talks and in this article that 
Alewives were incredibly important, not just for brewing beer that they did for the household, but for the fact that because they were brewing beer, they were bringing extra income into the household, which was a good path to success for a lot of these peasants and serfs to be able to have more money on hand to be able to then go procure more land or more leases from the lord of the manor that they were living on. So a lot of different things in here. And of course, the Autostraddle article looks at it from a point of view of like, okay, so now how do you go from alewives through church propaganda into essentially, you know, sort of the modern take on witches and why did the church pursue that particular activity? And again, a lot of it comes down to that idea of, Hey, this was sort of a path of financial independence. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like to, I'd like to just read the opening paragraph of this article because it's one of those things that these days you can hardly believe is true. So oh, yeah. it, it starts off. In 1948, the Supreme Court of the United States upheld a Michigan law that prohibited women from obtaining bartender licenses unless the bars where they worked were owned by their fathers or their husbands. Just as Felix Frankfurter delivered the majority opinion of the court, writing that women bartenders give rise to moral and social problems, he pointed to the irrefutable evidence presented by writer of fictional history William Shakespeare, specifically his portrayal of the spirited and ribald alewives who caused wantonness, brawls, frays, and other inconveniences in England's social life for centuries. So not only is this jerk looking at something that was written hundreds of years before, he is taking it to be true. I mean... I'm I'm sorry, women. I, we owe you a big apology. Well, but here you go. Go go back, and this is the reason why we're arguing that homebrewing needs to be a, you know, more open and diverse hobby because we got to get the women back into the fold. They used to make the beer too. Right, exactly. And the article later points out that uh, Justice Frankfurter was a renowned Anglophile and sexist. <laughs> Jeez, really? You think so? <laughs> well, okay. And now to go from uh, you know alewives. And Jim Gaffigan talking about beer to seeing if we can test Denny's resolve to hold up to his promise that he just made. Earlier this summer, it was announced by a couple of breweries, including uh, Back Channel Brewing and outside of Minneapolis, that they were going to start serving IPAs, particularly these hazy IPAs, in bowls. And when I say bowls, I mean bowls. Yeah. You know, big, you know, round bowls holding 16 ounces of fluid, big, wide, uh, schnoz gap right and so that was the whole argument was you know we talk about the, how the shape of the glass impacts the organoleptic experience and you have people talking about oh you know certain shapes capture the aromas and funnel them into the nose or you know you're allowed to get your nose deeper into the aroma path and so the argument is that these bowls allow you to really get your nose in there and you know really sup up the aromas because your nose is right in the midst of the beer you know what man i say gimmick there you go. Uh, and you know what? I'm going to agree with you. Oh, he agreed. He agreed. Somebody uh, like take this down in writing and uh, put it in my tomb. <laughs> I mean, I'm. Yeah, well, I, I just it's. Remember, remember a few years ago when the Sam Adams beer glasses came out where they had gotten Randy to consult on the perfect shape of the beer glass and stuff. Yep, absolutely. The whole point of those glasses was to focus the aroma into your nose, and which the, is exactly the opposite of what these bowls do by diffusing it all over. Not to mention, 
has anybody ever done a side-by-side to see if maybe it is a better drinking experience with the bowls? Or are they just saying, oh, look, bowls, these are going to be better? Well, I don't know. That sounds like an easy experiment for us to do. Yeah. Off to the back cave. Couldn't couldn't exactly do a blind uh, test like that, though, could you? No, I don't think you could, but, um, hmm, that's an interesting question. How would you test that in a more you know, blind you know what, way? Uh, what you, if you're only testing aroma, you could, like, have a bowl of beer sitting there and a glass of beer and blindfold yourself, so it would really be a blind tasting, and then just go back and forth and inhale the aroma of each and see which one you thought you were getting more aroma from. Well, yeah, I think you would almost, you'd almost have to set out three vessels, yeah. right? And a bl- a blindfold the taster, or in this case, the, the sniffer. Right. So blindfold them, set, set out the three vessels, and somehow make it so that they can smell from the vessels without getting close enough, or without getting to a point where they're interfering with the vessel, or there's some tell, like, you know, the glass height is that much higher. Mm-hmm. You set, set the bowl up on something to make it the same height, you know? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So, uh, I think we- if any, I think we have something stupid to try. Yeah, I was going to say, if any of you people out there want to give this a try, uh, let us know how it goes. And and I assume when you say three, you're, you're talking about for like a typical triangle test, right? Two of one and yeah. one of the other? Absolutely. Yeah. Put on a blindfold. Have somebody else there with you who can direct you to the separate places so you don't fall over trying to walk down a, a counter trying to uh, whiff them all. Yeah. Let's find out. Huh? Let's find out if IPA and bowls is a gimmick. Or if it's really something we should all be doing. Yeah, I, I think you and I both have our, our bias here, but that's <laughs> but why you have to test it. That's right, exactly right, man. I'm not going to say that it's stupid until I try it, but it sure seems stupid. Yeah, I, I won't say it's stupid. I'm just going to raise an eyebrow at it. Yeah, well, and remember, I said the idea is stupid, not the people who drink it. So remember, I was nothing personal there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well... I think we need more beer, and then I think we need to go on and do some more work. All righty. We're going to get out of here. We're going to head over to the library where we're going to be talking about the discovery of a brewery that's even older than I am. So uh, check out these messages and stick around. We'll be right back. Explore the history of tart, fruity, and refreshing Goza-style beer with the latest book from Brewer's Publication, Goza, Brewing a Classic German Beer for the Modern Era. Written by award-winning veteran brewer Fal Allen, Goza includes 27 recipes, including Sea Quench Sour from Dogfish Head Craft Brewery and Ruben Brewer's 2017 Great American Beer Festival gold medal-winning Goza. Right now, Brewer's Publications is giving experimental homebrewing listeners a discount on Goza. Go to brewerspublications.com and use code EXPERIMENTAL to take 20% off Goza. That's right, you'll save 20% when you use code EXPERIMENTAL at brewerspublications.com. We are sitting here in the musty, dank, moldy library, uh, with surrounded by shelves and shelves of musty, dank, moldy books. And we're going to be talking about something that's even older than that. Uh, they discovered a brewery in Israel that is 13,000 years old. Well, and so it's the exact same culture. You guys may remember we talked a little bit earlier this summer about uh, the Natufians. 
and how they had discovered in Jordan rem- remnants of charred bread that had been baked about 11,000 to 14,000 years ago. And, and they found that in Jordan. Now, this is the exact same culture, the Natufians, but now this site has been discovered over in Israel. And they're putting it at about at least 13,000 years old. And what they found were three stone mortars for you know crushing the grain. And it's just really kind of cool because, it, once again, it puts it into this sort of weird tie. But the other thing is, I mean, it's pushing it back, you know, even even further, you know, in history in terms of, like, when we actually had, you know, beer and bread being formed. So this is kind of cool to me. Yeah, and if, if beer didn't predate bread, then apparently uh, they probably came around about the same time. <laughs> and I think that, what, before the estimate was beer was, like, Seven to ten thousand years old? Does that sound right? Yeah, it had been around like yeah, nine to ten. Um but also of course what's interesting is that the apparently I think the bread and the beer share very similar chemical makeups in terms of what they think went into it. So uh, barley and wheat and uh, what flax and legumes and oats and I mean look, once again as we've talked about in the past, uh back in the olden days, our ancestors put everything into the beer. Yeah, and what was really cool was to test this out. They actually tried to recreate the the beer. Uh, says no beer sommelier has yet gone on record about the brew's taste, but apparently they were able to uh, uh, ferment a concoction of several mixed cooked grains uh, and uh, make something out of it. So, so for for those of you looking for a little bit more experimentation in your beer life, uh, check out this article. You can try it too. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious because now I kind of think I want to go and try and figure out, okay, so if I was going to do a mixed grain beer that included flax and all this other sort of stuff, what would that look like? It'd be kind of fun. Yeah, right. And and again, I'm sure that they weren't concerned as much about taste as they were about alcohol. And availability of calories and, you know, other sorts of good stuff. I mean, they even say that the beer was, you know, sort of more like a gruel than, you know, like a right. bright, clear liquid. So what, You mean like they didn't centrifuge it or filter it? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but to me, this is interesting because this this just kind of keeps pushing back a little bit further, you know, sort of these big milestones in terms of human development and, you know, the rise of civilization. Yeah, I know, man. It, it is totally fascinating, isn't it? Uh, and in a way, it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, well, and this also still goes to, point, to the point that beer has been with us for, you know, a very, very long time. It's a fundamental aspect of human culture. Uh, to the point where the word beer or its several roots are kind of considered key words. You know, so if you go and you you do your study of languages, beer is one of the words that they use to sort of, you know, track how a language evolved and where it evolved from. Uh, kind of like mother and I think father too, or ma and pa are also used in that way. Yeah, you want to see some beer that's been around for a long time, check the back of my beer fridge, man. No, thank you. I got my own beer to deal with. I got my, I got my, I got my own... My own deep cellar issues I have to resolve. <laughs> really? Well, so this this makes me wonder. So, guys, if we were to stop and think about like what an ancient beer would look like with flax and all these other pieces in there, what do you think it would look like? What would you do? Let us know. Yeah, really. It'd be interesting. Uh, and if you brew one, send it to us, and I won't make fun of you. Not yet. All right. I think we got to go talk some hops in. Yep, I think it's time to head over to the brewery and talk about some uh, actual brewing in this day and age. So uh, stick around, listen to these messages, and we're going to be back in just a minute. 
Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. favorite spot the place where the magic happens that's right we're in the brewery and it's time to talk about beer making ingredients i'm really glad you Uh, said brewery because i was really afraid you were going some other direction there no no i'm talking the magic of beer okay oh oh yeah so our sponsors over at ych or yakima chief hops uh, nowadays so just in time for veterans day or i should say really just in time for you to be able to brew beer for veterans day yakima chief has put together a special blend that they're calling their veterans blend and, you know, this is kind of like how they have their, you know, Falconer's Flight and Seven Seas, you know, these different blends of different American hops or different hops in general to achieve different effects, right? So in this particular case, the Veterans Blend is a blend of five different Pacific Northwest varieties and were actually hand-selected by a group of veteran-owned breweries from across the U.S. Uh, and they made sure to include representatives from multiple branches of the U.S. Armed Forces to avoid inter-service rivalry. The big thing about it is not only is it available for people to be able to make uh, beers in time for Veterans Day, but $3 per pound of these hops is going to go to a new veteran support organization each year. This year, the donation is going to the Semper Fi Fund, which uh, goes to you know people in the United States Armed Forces and their family to you know essentially uh, help out where they can. The hops in this particular year's blend uh, consist of cashmere and uh, Yakima Chief's notes on it are melon, lemon, lime, and spice, centennial, yield classic, lemon and floral, uh, equinot with melon, berry, lime, apple, papaya, and green pepper flavors, mosaic with blueberry, tangerine, papaya, blossoms, rose, and bubblegum, and Simcoe with passion fruit, berry, pine, earth, and citrus. And I never would have thought of passion fruit with Simcoe, but... Oh, really? Yeah, I, I can get some. They're, they're- I can- I can see that. So, yeah, the experts. Yeah, what's really cool about this is this is obviously a hop blend targeted for those very very hop forward beers that we all love to make. And in order to support the cause, and because we're curious as hell, uh, Drew and I have uh, ordered a bunch of these hops for ourselves. We're going to be trying them out, and we're going to be giving you guys a chance to try some out also. Uh, you may remember that we had put out a recipe challenge to challenge each of us to compose a recipe off the top of our head for a particular beer style. And uh, what's going to happen is that I'm going to pick a recipe for Drew from the ones you've submitted. Uh, Drew's going to pick one for me. And whoever has their recipes picked will get each half a pound of these uh, Veterans Blend hops. So uh, let's, let's just say uh, October 3rd is the deadline. 
So by October 3rd, go to experimentalbrew.com slash challenge us and give us your ideas for a recipe that you would like each one of us to design. And I can tell you right now that if you ask me to design a uh, hazy milkshake Berliner Weiss that has chocolate cake and jalapeno peppers in it, it ain't going to happen. Well, then maybe I won't choose that one for you. There's, <laughs> there's, one, uh, there's one very much like that. But now, guys, here's, here's why this is important. Unfortunately, as cool as this hot blend is, at least this year, it's not coming out to homebrewers. So they're only making this available in 11-pound batches. So if you and a club members get together, you can order an 11-pound box and get this sent directly to you and split it up amongst yourselves. So Denny and I are actually going to be getting uh, some hops, though, to be able to share out with our Igors and with you guys. So if you want to get your hands on those hops, experimentalbrew.com slash challenge us. Right. And if you'd like to order a box of these for your club, like Drew said, the minimum order is 11 pounds. And as I recall, they're like uh, 12 bucks and change a pound. Contact us and we will put you in touch with the right guy at uh, Yakima Chief Hops to get your own order in. You can uh, share them around the club. You can brew beer with it and you can support this wonderful, wonderful charity, the Semper Fi Fund. There you go. Now it's time for science. Science! Drew blinded me. We're going to head over to the lab right now, and we are going to finally announce another experiment coming up, so please stick around. Mecha Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their eighth generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve MechaGrade. For more information, please visit MechaGrade.com. made our way over to the lab and we were surrounded by the Bunsen burners, the uh, Jacob's ladder. Drew's not doing his. Bzzz, oh, there it is. Bzzz, God, bzzz. I've missed that. I've missed it. And it's finally time for us to announce our next experiment. And it's going to be an experiment about mash capping. Now, mash capping, you may remember, is when you add uh, additional grains to your mash during the sparge. Uh, what we're going to be studying is the effect that dark grains have, whether you add them to the mash or you add them as a cap on top. Gordon Strong is a big advocate of uh, capping your mash with the dark grains, not including them in your main mash, uh, putting them on during the sparge. It, it gives you two two things there. Number one, you don't have to deal with the pH shift that the dark grains would normally cause in the whole mash. And number two, which is what we're testing, they supposedly add a different kind of smoother quality to your beer than uh, than putting the dark greens right into the mash. Yep. So the experiment's relatively straightforward and simple. We're going to give our Igors, and you if you want, 
a chance to brew a beer that we're calling Blackwater Schwartz beer because we decided why not go with something, you know, Schwartzy. And, you know, it's going to be a real simple recipe. It's eight pounds of Pilsner, two pounds of Munich malt, three quarters of a pound of Carafa too, the debittered, if you can, and then eight ounces of the Cararoma. So a bunch of German ingredients all together and a little bit of hollow tower for bittering, a little bit of hollow tower for, you know, flavor, nothing else. You know, very clean fermentation. You can either do this as a lager or an ale, but uh, obviously lager is best because it will probably show the most differences. But the whole point is brew two batches. One batch, all the grains go in together. Second batch, the grains all go together except for that carafa, and that gets added when you start your sparge, just on top. Yep. Now, I I did this many, many years ago. Uh, in with my uh, American brown ale in an attempt to make it smoother and smoother. I switched to Carafa. I got into capping and eventually got to the point where it was so smooth it was insipid. And so I actually went back to adding some roast barley to it to give it a bit of an edge. So I think that this technique is viable for certain styles of beer, but maybe not all styles of beer. I think yeah, the... But I think... I think Schwarzbier is a perfect example of where to do it. Well, if you would have waited a second, that's just what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, Schwartz is one of those where you might want the uh, the dark grains to be a little smoother and mellower. So I think it's going to be a great learning experience to compare these two. And if there is a difference, then start thinking about where you want to use one technique and where you might want to use the other technique. Yeah, and the reason why we say Schwarzbier would probably be a good place to do this is the uh, rumor has it that a good number of the Schwartz beers that are on the market are really just a brewery's Pilsner colored with uh, Cinnamar, which is the Wireman um, malt colorant that they make using basically Carafa and Cold Steep. Right. And, so, and I, I don't, I've never seen any real proof oh, of I've that. I've never seen any real proof of it. It's just rumor. Sure. It's, it's one of those homebrewer rumors. It's out there with all the other homebrewer rumors. And hey, don't forget, if you can't find Cararoma, because that is a very particular Wireman branded caramel malt. Really, what you want to do is find a caramel malt that's in the about the 120, 130 level bond range. Yeah, right. Do that, and you're good. Yep, yep. Just uh, something similar with the same specs. And again, because we're comparing batches, it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference as long as you use the same thing for both batches. Yep. And you know what? Yes. I feel like it's time to get old. <laughs> time to get old? Old. I'm already old. I know, but now I need an old beer. <laughs> okay. We're going to uh, head over to the lounge, and we're going to listen to an interview that we did with Ralph Rice, uh, our listener and friend from Florida, who brewed up some alt beer and sent us some to try. Stick around. We're going to be right back. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. It's just about time, it's just about time, don't you think it's about time, we talked about beer. Okay, this is the part where everybody sings, beer, 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 beer. beer. 
welcome to the lounge. We are sitting here today surrounded by all the loungy type things and we have our good friend Ralph Rice on the phone with us today. How are you, Ralph? I'm doing well, Denny. How are you and Drew doing? I'm I'm good. You're in Florida, man. You must be as it like warm and humid down there? Uh the heat index today was 102 degrees. Oh. Yep. Boy. That sounds like my childhood. <laughs> yeah. exactly well now of course as we're all sitting here and talking about you know such a lovely fall weather that we have you know, we do have fallish things to talk about like uh, maybe an alt beer like maybe an alt beer so ralph uh you sent us this alt beer that you brewed is this the first one you've ever made no this is actually rendition version number three i started off um similar to what you did danny uh-huh. Reading about all beers and saying, gee, that sounds kind of good. And I went around to a couple of bottle shops and, you know, grocery stores, and nobody carried an alt beer. So I have a uh, the Modern Homebrew Recipes by Gordon Strong, mm-hmm. and he has a recipe in there. And I brewed it, and I kind of liked it, but then I started tweaking it a little bit. Uh, this version three that you guys have is actually kind of the same as version two, except when I was in Portland, I took the opportunity to walk from the convention center, the homebrew con NHC to mm-hmm. Steinbart. And I picked up 16 pounds of mecha grade malt because <laughs> it just sounded so good and talking with Seth. So I use the Pelton malt and Metolius. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. You, you got it, man. Uh, yep. Those are the Pils Pilsen. and the Munich. Right. Yeah. And so this is version three, and I got a little bit of Carahel in there, and I use Carafa two just for color. Right. right. Well, so I think that says we have to do the obvious part, which is. Try the open the beers. That's right, man. It's hey. been a long day. I'm ready. Here we go. Ah, I heard there it. it was. There it was. That's always my favorite sound. <laughs> pouring into my official four ounce glass. And I'm pouring into my official mecha grade glass. Oh, wow. boy. That's uh, that's snazzy. I wish I would have thought of that. I, I have a mecha grade tasting glass. I could have used that. <laughs> There you go. Very appropriate okay. for this. I call it Mecca Alt is the name of the beer. Right. Now, and now suddenly so. I feel like I should be gearing up for watching anime with that name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking a whiff here. Well, while I'm you take a whiff, of- while you take a whiff, I'm going to just read off the proportions on the recipes here. Uh, okay. About 61% of the Peloton, the Mecca grade pills, uh, 35% of Metolius, the Munich from Mecca grade, 2.2% of Carahel, and 2.2% of the Carafa too. Now, was that the special debittered Carafa? Yes, it is. Okay. And, then, and I think if I, I was going to say, I think if I play around with this again, I might substitute chocolate wheat for the Carafa because a couple of bottles don't have a good head on it. So I wanted to use a, just a touch of wheat to see if that'll help the head and head retention. Well, Ralph, I haven't even put this glass to my nose yet. It's sitting down here below the mic and, you know, probably a good foot away from my nose. And I can right. smell 
the malt just rolling out yeah. of his glass. I mean, it's, isn't that wonderful? That's oh yeah. you know, I get a little burst of hops, but as it warms, that I mean, the mecca grade malt really comes through. It comes through more than whenever I was using. Uh, can I say the name of the brand? The yeah, Wireman Pills and stuff. Right. It was just so much richer. The uh, mecca grade, so much richer and more more bite to it if you will well and this is chewy but not that's it yeah it's it's chewy but it's not like you're you're having to sit there and really concentrate on it uh you know yeah. it's, got, it's got a, a wonderful body to it with all those kind of uh crackery toasted notes that, that i get out a lot mm-hmm. of out of the mecca grade yep. malts jeez I, I haven't even started drinking mine yet man it's uh <laughs> I, I, well, I what are you of, waiting for because I'm, uh, I'm 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 assessing it here, buddy. Uh, I uh, I got this wonderful kind of like herbal, floral hoppiness when I first opened it. Ball okay. is coming on. It's, yeah. it is it is brilliantly clear. You did a stellar job on that, man. It's just it's beautiful. I love the color. Yeah, the and nice it's, rich auburn color to it. Yeah, kind kind of a a copper brownish. Yep. You know, uh, yep. just just gorgeous and it's got you know like just this really effervescent carbonation that's rolling up the side of my glasses yeah there. that's yeah. what i noticed too okay here we go and and while he's doing that the there are perla hops in there for bittering i think you said uh yes the first word yeah. hop to 26 ibus and then spalt at 30 and 10 minutes yeah just enough to give a, a little bit of something and then fermented with the the malt Again, like i said this is new to me i've never tasted an all beer and from what I've read, you need spalt. That's the traditional hop for all beers. Yep. Well, traditionally that's true, man. But um, I've made them with Haller Tower. I've made them with Mount mm-hmm. Hood. You know, pretty pretty much anything in the Noble line is going to work for you. Um, right. This is okay. this is absolutely freaking delicious, man. Yeah. Um, and you got, I mean, there's that wonderful bread character in there. I think it's accentuated. You use the the White Labs Dusseldorf Alt Yeast, the 36, according to your notes. Yes. And My uh, local homebrew shop carries White Labs. And, you know, I had to carry back the uh, Mecca grade malt. But everything else is kind of standard. You know, the pearl, the spalt. You know the Irish moss and yeast nutrients. So yeah, right. I, I, I'm telling you, wowzer. Yeah, it, it's it's really good. Uh, it reminds me. It reminds me. You know more of something along the uh, the lines. I don't want to say a Schumacher or Debo, but it, it's not quite as slap in your face bitterness as a, as mm-hmm. Zumaregi. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, you know. If you could get a hold of it, I would be curious to see what would happen if you made this with Y yeast ten oh seven. And okay, and but to Denny's point about it not being the same sort of slap in your face as uh, Erga, I mean that that is the outlier there. I mean that is the most aggressively one, right? And I yeah, mean, that's one of the things that uh, Gordon Strong in his book says is this. You see, is I forget how he puts it, like the classic style, mm-hmm. but don't enter it as an all beer and BJCP because he'll be dinged. So naturally, hmm, interesting. And well, who cares? Because you can drink it and it's freaking delicious. Yes, exactly. <laughs> in fact, my first one. That was the thing was, you know, I didn't think that it should have that many hops. So that's 
version two, I backed off on the hops and changed a little bit. And, you know, with uh, Gordon Strong, you always have to have 15 or 16 different malts. <laughs> this is yeah. true. I get I get mine up around, oh, I guess generally between 45 and 50 IBUs, uh, you know, okay. generally. Um, but again, that's that's mine, and I'm not saying you should change yours. I'm just giving you ideas if you want to try a different direction next time. So, yeah, but to See, me, this... this one came out to about 37 IBUs, corn to beer Smith. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think that actually you are in a, I mean, you're in a really nice sweet spot here. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. the the beer the, the beer does take a malt forward presence, but I mean, by the time I get down to the end of it, I mean, I've I've got that. I've got that little burst of hop character coming along the the back edge of the the palate, you know, just to kind of keep everything clean and moving right. along. Now, exactly, I, I'm getting that. I'm getting like this dry finish off of it with a, a little bit of hop flavor to it. So, and that's really nice because when you first taste, it, you go, "There's there's all that malt. What's going to balance it?" And sure enough, man, you just wait a second, and there it is. Great for a hot day like today, I'll tell you. (laughs) Did you do any water treatment with this, or was this just... Yes, I did. I've been using uh, brewing water. Mm -hmm. So I had a little bit of gypsum, some mag sulfate, and calcium chloride. Right. And I used the amber balanced. Okay. Yep, and and see, and for mine, I use the amber bitter, but that's that's because that's my taste. Yes. I, again, again, I, anything I say about changes to this, Ralph, are just going to make it are, are going to be suggestions along the lines of uh, <laughs> what what I like, and that which is not to say that this isn't a delicious beer. I mean, I think this would probably do pretty well in competition, don't you, Drew? Yeah, I mean, as long as you got a judge who understands the breadth that is alt. Um, the one thing yeah. I will say, you, you you have in your notes here that you fermented it for two weeks at 65 degrees and then crashed it to 33 degrees for another right. two weeks. I think the one thing I would probably change, this is my, and again, this is my take, I would probably start that primary fermentation lower. Like, I would probably do the primary fermentation okay. more at like 60. Okay. And and the, yeah. one, the one reason why I say that is because there is a fruity expressiveness to this beer. And it's not a bad okay. thing. It's, I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's not like I'm sitting here drinking, you know, apple juice. Right. It's, but it is a fruity expressiveness that, for for at least my take on alts, I like to reduce that as much as possible. So I would probably drop that that fermentation back a little bit. Okay. And, you know, Drew, I'm not sure that that isn't a characteristic of the of the O36. Uh, one of the reasons that I started using 1007 mm-hmm. uh, is because. Uh, I found that it was like a lot cleaner, and the the thirty six did have a touch of that to it, no matter what I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's here's another tip, Ralph. I once uh, needed a starter for a, a batch of barley wine that I was going to make, and so I made an alt beer with ten fifty six, just because I was in the mood for an alt, and I you know I wanted right. to use the ten fifty six for the barley wine, and I. Tasted that all afterwards and went, damn, this is not bad. Ended up entering it in a competition and won second place with it. So about any really clean, crisp yeast is going to make a great alt. I mean, if, if you can only get white labs, you might even want to give it a shot with uh, with 001. One of, the okay. reasons I, I, one of the reasons I like 1007 
is because I can ferment 1007 at 55 degrees for primary fermentation for an alt. I have heard people say that they have also used the uh, Kolsch yeast for an alt. And again, like you were saying, it's a nice, clean yeast that doesn't leave any of those fruity esters. So, you know, that might be another choice. And it, and it depends on what Kolsch yeast, because something like Y yeast twenty five sixty five, which is a Kolsch yeast, mm-hmm. would definitely not be appropriate for this, uh, because okay. it it does have the the wininess and and maybe a touch of fruit to it, and so I would say pick your favorite exceptionally clean dry yeast. I mean, and by dry I mean dry in terms of the right. beer, not 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 liquid or dry. Ferment it as low as you dare and see what happens yep okay but again i'm sorry i was just taking a swallow of my beer yeah i I know i'm I'm just about to pour myself another one when i heard you do that (laughs) (laughs) yes uh, yes folks the the beer is good enough that this one is going to go into the clean glass club yeah, yeah. Admittedly, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be doing more than one four ounce glass today. I can tell you. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here just smiling away, guys. <laughs> Ralph, this, this is, this is like really a damn good beer. And if it's okay with you, we'd like to put the recipe uh, up on our website so that uh, people oh, please. can try for themselves. Yeah, please. Well, and you know, what, and I, I kind of. You know, I was saying that I listened to the podcast this morning with Martin Brungard. Mm-hmm. People use broom water, do amber bitter or amber balanced, and it just, I use reverse osmosis water and treat it, you know, so it gets to the recommended levels. Right. And it makes so much of a difference. It's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, the the key is to know your water, whether mm-hmm. you're using RO or whatever, and know what it's good for and adjust it when it's not. I ha- I'm on a well here where I live, and it's it's pretty good oh. quality water. I can make anything kind of like in the in the mid range of a beer without doing too much. Uh, you know, maybe for like a pale ale or this alt, I'd add a little bit of gypsum. Right, but. But I had found that my really dark beers and my really light beers were just not quite where I wanted them. They didn't suck, but they they were not where I yeah. wanted them. And and starting to use brune water, man, made a world of difference in that. So yeah, your point is well taken about making sure your water's right for what you're brewing. There you go. Yeah, and I'm yes. I'm excited to try different things now. Uh, like I said, I. Just read about all beer. It sounded like a good beer. I never tasted it. And there's so many different beers like that for me. You know, uh, Grzynski is another one. Uh, Drew, one of your clubmates did the Adam beer mm-hmm. presentation. It's like, man, I got to try and make some of these things. Oh, yeah. And, I'm, and we're going to have him on of, the podcast to, to talk about the Adam beer. Okay. I look forward to it. But one of the things about home brewing is it doesn't matter if you can't get it. You can brew it. <laughs> yeah, man. That, that's what I did when I started. I would sit there with the BJCP guidelines and read through and mm-hmm. see what the commercial examples of a beer were. And if I found one that looked interesting, I would try and get a hold of a commercial example. And if I couldn't, I would just brew it to try and find out what that style was like. And uh, 
sometimes I think I came close, and sometimes I probably didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's all fun. And at the end of the day, it's like you say, it's still beer. Yeah, that's right, man. And and this is damn good beer. I'm I'm sitting here. I'm this beer is as it warms up. It it's really nice. What's happening to it? It's really expressing a lot more flavor. I think I mentioned that in the little note I wrote you. As it warms, that malt just really comes to the front. Yeah, right. Well, I'll tell you, man. Seth makes some killer malt, huh? Well. Oh, God, I got to shoot him an email. <laughs> I haven't gotten around to it yet, but I talked to him at HomebrewCon. Right. You know, I, I, maybe I should send him a bottle saying this is what your malt does for us. I, I was going to suggest that because Seth loves to get uh, beers from people that have been made with his malt. So I would I would definitely say shoot him a bottle. He will really appreciate it and, uh, you know. It can't be a bad thing to have a guy like that uh, on your side. <laughs> really? You know, I think I got five more bottles left, and then I'm going to have to figure out how to get some more Mecca grade to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was telling Seth during uh, Homebrew Con that, you know, I love to try your malt, but shipping is 60% of the cost. And yeah. I know it's not you, it's UPS or FedEx or whatever. It's not you, but man, sixty percent of the cost is shipping. Well, you know what? I, I'm willing to pay two fifty a pound for good stuff, and his is great stuff. But that shipping kills me. You just need to get your uh, local homebrew shop to start carrying it, and let them. Maybe the I had to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. You know, just convince them. Convince them that people will eat it up down there in Florida. I had to make another batch and just pass it out to the, uh, you know, my homebrew club and stuff. Get a lot of people starting to ask the homebrew shop, when are we getting that mecha grade stuff? Yeah, or or maybe even uh, find people in your club who want who are interested, so you can like share the cost of shipping. That that's even a good idea too. Well, and maybe speaking I'll of which, do that. and speaking of which, yes? what club is your club? My club is Hogtown Brewers. Oh, great! Radagast. Yep. Winner. Isn't Mark Tumarkin in that club? Yep. Yes, Mark Tumarkin is in the club. We got a number of just excellent brewers. Please give Mark my regards, man. And also make sure that you kick him in the butt for me. Okay, yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to Martin Brungard at uh, HomebrewCon, and he looked at me and says, is Mark Tamarkin still in your club? It's like, <laughs> damn, that guy gets around. <laughs> really, man, you have a famous home brewery there. Well, gentlemen, I think we've lost the thread, and that might be because of the good alt beer that we have in front of us. I think so. I think so. So, uh, Ralph, is there anything more that you want to tell people who might be making this beer? Any any real tips you want to give them? Uh, not really. I mean... I did similar to what you were saying. I read the BJCP guidelines. I read online different ideas about it. I got uh, the uh, Bruin Styles Alt Beer book here, and I just read, read, read. And even though it's only my third version, try it. And then after your first version, you say, you know what, I think I want to back off a little on the hops. I think I want to increase the, you know, 
I think it was Drew that said the breadiness of the Pilsner that comes mm-hmm. through. So just play around with it. Have fun. Enjoy. Right on, man. That's that's the key to home brewing, isn't it? Have fun and enjoy. I love it. All right. Well, hey, Ralph, thank you so much. Really, man, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today and send us the beer even better. So uh, keep brewing, keep making some of that great alt, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at the next conference. Oh, you're going to see me before that, Denny. You're really? going to see me in, in March in Asheville. Really? You're coming to the Brewery on Boot Camp? Not just that, but I'm going to be in you and uh, Marshall's experimental. I'm going to be set right up front and ask a lot of questions. Oh, great. Embarrass the hell out of us, please. <laughs> Somebody's got to keep you in line. That's right, man. I, I demand video recording. <laughs> well, we'll see what we can do. Well, man, it was great talking to Ralph, and it was great drinking those beers. Weren't those amazing? Yeah, I think I'd put those in the opposite order, but then again, I'm me. <laughs> hey, man, I like Ralph. Come on, I'm going to put him first. <laughs> no, hey. But uh, but Ralph is uh, Ralph is a perfect counterexample to the internet's notion of Florida man. Yeah, because yes, he's a Florida man, but he didn't. He's not weird. He just makes good beer. <laughs> yeah, really. No, it, those beers were absolutely delicious, and they were beautiful. The color, the clarity, the effervescence. Um, good job, Ralph. That was your third try at an alt. I would say that uh, you did a wonderful job. Yeah, and by the way, guys, if you have beers out there that you would like for us to try or things that are reflective of things that we've talked about or things that you want us to talk about, you know, just reach out to us, podcast at experimentalbrew.com. We're more than happy to do that sort of, you know, shall we say, customer service segment. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it, isn't it? I, well, it's better than calling it, you know, the, hey, yeah, Denny and Drew get to try a beer. That's right. Okay. Stick around. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back to wrap this thing up with a quick tip, something other, and some questions and maybe some answers. We'll be right back. Yakima Chief Hops, formerly known as YCH Hops, is a 100% grower-owned global hop supplier located in the Pacific Northwest with a mission to connect family hop farms to the world's finest brewers. Yakima Chief Hops is thrilled about the release of their new innovative product, Cryo Hops, to both commercial and home brewers, providing intense hop flavor and aroma, reduced vegetal flavors, and increased brew house yield. Visit yakimachief.com to learn more. Are you a fan of chocolate, but not of the mess that comes from using cacao nibs? Chalaka is your answer. A favorite of Tim Matthews at Oscar Blues, it contains only cacao and water. Chalaka is aseptically packaged, so you don't have to worry about any bugs coming along uninvited. Using only sustainably sourced cacao, every bottle of Chalaka you buy helps regrow the rainforests of Ecuador and Peru. Ask for Chalaka wherever Brewcraft USA products are sold. And now it's time for us 
to answer your questions the best of our ability. Yeah, right. And I, I'm glad you put that disclaimer in there. So we got four questions to tackle for you today. And our first question comes from uh, Ben Pelletier, who says, Denny, I just brewed a batch of your bourbon vanilla imperial porter. What is it with people in that beer? <laughs> Good taste. What can I say? Uh-huh. I have two questions. First, I'm going to bottle condition after adding bourbon with Jim Beam. Do I have to worry about any residual sugars? Second, how does this beer stand up to aging? Okay. First part of that question, do I have to worry about uh, residual sugars from adding bourbon? Uh, answer is no. I'm not sure exactly how much sugar that bourbon adds, but I bottled pretty much every batch of it that I've ever made, and uh, there has never been anything weird happening because of the bourbon. The carbonation came out like I expected it to, so I would say that that is not an issue. Second, how does this beer stand up to aging? And that really depends on your tastes. I have had people give me aged bottles. I have found bottles that have been stuck in the back of my beer fridge for a year or two. And it's very good. But quite frankly, I prefer it in the first few months after brewing. The vanilla starts to fade. Uh, the bourbon kind of develops an unusual character to it. I don't know any better way to uh, to explain it. So my advice would be drink some now, put some away to drink later, see what you like. And the next time you make a batch, you'll know which way you want to go. But it is definitely not a beer that requires aging to be drinkable. And on that bottle conditioning part, just don't try and bottle condition with fireball. (laughs) Then that will affect your your conditioning. Yeah, well, uh, I don't even know what fireball is. And I would say you shouldn't put it in that beer anyway, because... uh, you just need a good but not great bourbon in it. Well, the fireball is the devil's whiskey. Oh. It's one of those uh, sweet cinnamon-infused whiskeys. Oh, and why would you put that in there? Oh, my goodness. That would just not go with the bourbon and vanilla at all, to my taste. So, And if you put fireball in there and your bottles explode, we don't want to hear about it. I, I do. <laughs> all, all right, next question. All right, this one is for Drew, and it comes from Craig Vall in Australia. I'm sure you'll be excited to hear that I have questions. Oh, you bet you we are, Craig. Again. Oh, yeah, that's right. I thought I recognized your name. I believe on your last podcast, it was mentioned that fenugreek is effective at imparting a maple flavor when used at the right stage. Would you use seeds, leaves, or flowers? And are they best late in the boil, or is it tincture during fermentation? Also regarding maple syrup, another podcast briefly mentioned that sucrose, glucose, and fructose all add slightly differing properties when used in bottling. I use Brewer's Friend Calculator, but there is no option for maple syrup. Would it be closer to a substitute for white sugar than anything else? I used it once in a single Grolsch bottle in a Pilsner. It had no maple flavor, but it did pour ahead that would make Duval envious. Completely different texture from the rest of the batch, but no difference in flavor. From memory, after some highly technical calculations, I guesstimated four milliliters to be an appropriate amount for that bottle. From memory, after some highly technical calculations, I guesstimated four milliliters to be an appropriate amount for that bottle. Well, I like Technical guesstimations. Those are my favorite sorts of guesstimations. Uh, but to answer your questions, Craig, uh, let's see. I, I've always done rough crack seeds in a tincture. So, you know, take, you know, whatever, a couple of grams of fenugreek, crush them up in a mortar and pestle. You know, don't go ape on them. Just, you know. You want to crack them, nice them more roughly. than crush them? Is that what you 
Well, yeah, I mean, you, you just don't want to try it. You're not trying to turn them into powder. Right. Right. So, yeah, very coarse grind. Uh, and then uh, add that to four ounces of vodka. Let's sit for a week. You know, boom, Bob, there you go. You got uh, maple slash fenugreek extract. And you'll know pretty quickly whether or not you got the right sort of fenugreek that will actually give you the maple aromas as opposed to the weird grassy ones. Um, and for your maple syrup, maple syrup is almost m- all sucrose. I guess like 99% sucrose. So, yeah, the table sugar would be the appropriate calculation to use there. I'm sure Denny has opinions about whether or not there's a, a difference in terms of carbonation generation. Um, but the thing I'm curious about is thinking about what gave you that observed difference in head. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that you had no flavor because I think when maple syrup ferments out, the only sort of flavor you normally would get is like a smoky thing. Um, but I'm wondering if there isn't like some sort of residual gum or some sort of phenol that is foam positive that's left over in the maple syrup. I would guess that the sugar content of it was such that it was different than, uh, priming the bottles with uh, other sugars and that maybe it was just a higher carbonation level that caused it. Might be. Time to try an experiment. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, it depends on how closely Craig tried to figure out what the sugar content of that maple syrup was and match it to his other priming ingredient. This is true. Uh, yeah, you'd have to pay attention to the bricks pretty clo- closely in order to get it calculated correctly. Exactly, but- yeah. All right. Next question uh, comes from Hayden Charter in San Diego, who says, uh, I'm excited to write to y'all. Y'all, hey, thank you. Uh, about my upcoming brew sessions, a CDGK mild. Love that recipe. And an old Stoner Barley Wine, Denny's favorite recipe. I enjoy a good dark mild and have always wanted to brew a barley wine, so after listening to the related brew files, I have finally decided now is the time to take the plunge. I'll use London Ale 3 based off the recommendations of my homebrew shop and pitch the barley wine on top of the mild yeast cake, which is absolutely the right thing to do. My question comes down to conditioning old Stoner. I plan to keg due to having mishaps with previous priming sugar calculations and wonder... Can I keg with a certain small CO2 pressure that will ensure a seal in the keg, but not carbonate the beer? I'd like to allow the beer to condition for multiple months and assume that if it's carbonated, it won't have the same effect. I could be wrong here, and we'll listen to your advice. So, Denny, what is your advice on the Old Stoner? Okay, Hayden, uh, yes, number one, your first question, yes, you can use a small amount of pressure to seal the keg uh, and let it condition without being carbonated. 10 to 12 PSI is usually the quoted amount, but uh, it's going to depend on the condition of your keg and the O-ring on it. So just kind of put a little bit of gas on it and listen for it to seal. But to go to the second part of your question, there is no reason you can't fully carbonate that beer and have it conditioned. That is my standard procedure for pretty much every beer that I make. There's nothing in the carbonation that is going to have a negative effect on the conditioning of the beer. And my thinking is that that way, by the time the beer is ready to drink, it's carbonated and ready to drink. So your choice, man, uh, I'll do a little bit to seal the lid and let it condition, or just go ahead and fully carbonate it and let it condition. And then on the day that you decide it tastes ready, it'll be ready for you too. Yep. I'm with the old man. Just carbonate it because one of the problems is if you just try and put a little bit of pressure on the keg, you're going to have some of that CO2 absorb back into the beer. Right. And so you're going to have to run back and top the keg up periodically if you want to keep it fully sealed. So just carbonate it. Yeah, really. It's not going to hurt anything. And I would also like to note that that's twice on this podcast Drew has agreed with me. It happens. Sometimes and you're right. I, I think the moon must be in feces. Either that or it's broken clock time. 
<laughs> yeah. All right. Our last question today comes from Will Alward, who says, Drew, when you and Martin were referring to a threshold of one milliliter of lactic acid per gallon being the upper limit, was that per gallon of the finished beer or total water used for both mash and sparge? Thanks. Uh, real quick answer. It's actually 1.5 milliliters per gallon was the upper limit that we were talking about for lactic acid at 88% uh, in order to avoid flavor impact. And remember, you could do it, but you're just going to end up tasting it. And then that is 1.5 milliliters per gallon for the total volume of water that you use. I mean, it's basically, it's 1.5 milliliters that's going to end up in the keg per gallon. Right. You know, it's, it's not going to magically shift around to your, your various other gallons. So 1.5 milliliters per gallon treated final volume or per sorry, gal- for the per, total volume per gallon of brewing water. Right. Right. Okay, cool. So cool. there you go. Will. super quick answer. And now it's time to get you on the road with a quick tip. Denny. Yeah. I uh, made my way out to the brewery recently after a, a hiatus of longer than I care to think. And I uh, went over to check out my pH meter, which was sitting in my bottle of storage solution. Uh, per Martin's recommendation, I drilled a little hole in the cap and stuck the meter in it so it could just sit in there. And much to my chagrin and dismay, when I looked at the bottle of storage solution, I saw mold growing in it and started to think back, how long have I had that? And when I couldn't remember, I realized it was too long. So the uh, the tip for me for today is... Do an occasional check of all your liquids in your brewery to make sure that they are still viable and ready to use. Something like star sand, I doubt that's going to be an issue because uh, unmixed star sand has such a low pH that uh, I just couldn't see mold growing there. But definitely your your pH meter, calibration fluids, your, your storage solution, your 4 and your 7, check those out every once in a while if you have a large container of them. Make sure that you didn't end up with green fuzzy stuff in it like I did. Yeah, and that's my one problem with pH meters is, boy, they require regular maintenance. They they do, and that's that's why uh, I think I'm on my fourth one now. Yep. So there you go. Make sure that you don't got funny fuzzy stuff growing in your liquids. I know that uh, sometimes I've left star sand sitting around for a while to come back to find interesting new things growing in it. <laughs> a science experiment. Exactly. Hey, that's how we got penicillin. Okay, and you're going to talk about uh, somebody that you turned me on to the other day. All right, well, hey, I, I can't think of any better way to do this than to say, let's play that clip, Denny. And so that sound that you just heard, that was an artist that I just discovered, a single uh, name single artist by the name of uh, uh, Mitski. And this was a, a, a track I discovered just a couple of weeks ago because, oddly enough, she just released a brand new album. But this one's on her old album called uh, Puberty Volume 2. And Mitski's a really interesting uh, Japanese-American artist, and a lot of her music is sort of this... Uh, emotional indie rock type music with, you know, kind of a, a, a very kind of painful sort of thing going on with it. And that song I really like because it just kind of t- 
kicks into all that set of sort of like late nineties indie rock type thing with those power chords and, you know, a little bit of Weezer, but uh, Weezer with a little bit less glibness and a little more soul to it. And of course, while I was thinking about that, that also reminds me of, of another artist that she's commonly getting compared to is St. Vincent, AKA Annie Clark, uh, who, if you haven't listened to St. Vincent, go listen to some St. Vincent. That woman tears a guitar off, you know, to the point where your face will actually melt. She, she's done and, some stuff with David Byrne. That's been really, really cool. Oh yeah. So my, something other than beer this week is go you know, check out some, you know, really kind of awesome female artists that are out there right now. Misky and St. Vincent. Uh, I wish that they would do a collaboration together because I can only think how amazing that would be. But also at the same time, don't forget that uh, Mitski has just released a brand new album where she's actually gone back to her, her first instrument of choice, which was piano. So a total change of pace. Cool. Well, may- maybe they're podcast listeners and they'll get the idea from listening to us. One can only hope. <laughs> all right, let's get out of here. Okay, we are out of here. Thank you all for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXB Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Drew hangs out on Reddit and the Slack homebrewing channel. I hang out on a bunch of different beer forums, uh, Beerborg, mainly the AHA forum. Uh, I'm on Facebook way too much, so you can find me there if you got a question. If you want to ask us a question or suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or even just rant and rave at us, and we get a lot of that, you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com, or if you want to get a hold of each one of us individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And you can always leave us a voicemail or even a text at 626-765-1AL. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing.